You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Okay, guys, we're going to continue uh, with a time of teaching here. Okay, uh, last week, if you guys were, were here, we've been working our way through the book of Matthew as a church, so we're up to Matthew chapter 10. Uh, we're actually going to be stopping this series. This is the last one uh, for the next two months in the book of Matthew. Uh, we wanted to take uh, the months of, you know, the fall and just talk, do a little more topical series about uh, things that you guys are really dealing with. So we're going to talk about family uh, all uh, for the next four Sundays following this. Uh, and we're going to do family from the different life stages that each of you guys are in. Next week, we're going to just intro kind of God's purposes and family and relationship. And then we're going to do a Sunday just on being a single Christian. Uh, we're going to do a, a Sunday on being uh, uh, married and marriage. And then we're going to do a Sunday on parenting. Uh, and each of those kind of God's purposes in them. Uh, then we're going to kick off uh, another series on conflict and God's purposes in conflict. And then we're going to do what does conflict as a single person typically look like? What's, it, what's conflict unique to marriage and what's conflict unique to parenting? So if you have friends who, uh, who you thought about bringing to Red Sea and, and they could use a message on family uh, or on marriage or just being a single person, I would encourage you guys to leverage those to invite them uh, to come and to, and to hear the word. So we're looking forward to that. But this week, we're going we're gonna to finish up uh, Matthew chapter 10. Uh, last week, uh, Royce kicked off this chapter. And, and here's what's happening in the book of Matthew. Jesus has is, is now got his 12 disciples, and uh, he is about to send them out on a, on a mission. It's the first of many times he's going to send them out. They've been following him around. But now they're going to move from being disciples to apostles, which means sent out ones. And he's going to prepare them for this little mini mission that they're about to to go on. And so he builds them up in the first half of chapter 10, which Royce went over last week, saying, you guys know that this message that you're bringing is not going to be received well. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be drugged before authorities. uh, But don't worry, I'm going to give you the right uh, words to say. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated for my name's sake. So it was a big encouraging message for them as they're about to, uh, about to go out. And Royce spent the majority of last week's message talking about what does persecution physically look like today for the believer. And he focused mostly uh, outside of the U.S., uh, areas like China, uh, areas in, in, in Africa and India. And he told a, a, a number of stories of pastors who face persecution. And, he, and he, he, can't, he basically gave us six points of lessons that we can learn from the persecuted church. And from what I've heard from you guys, it stirred a lot of really good conversations that happened in home community, that happened around the dining room table, about the persecuted church today outside of the U.S. and how we can partner with them. Uh, and, and me and Royce also had a conversation on the way to the men's retreat, having those same conversations about what would it look like for Red Sea to partner with Voice of the Martyr or with uh, Open Doors uh, to see uh, God... Uh, do a work there because we don't want to just talk about something and then kind of move on. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, that was good. 
let's move on now. Uh, we really want to see something tangible happen. So I would encourage you guys, if you have, know someone who particularly is a missionary with one of these organizations, I was talking to Jim last night, and he was telling me about a, a connection that they have with some missionaries in China. I'd really love to know about those things because for me, I would much rather, instead of just throw some money at an organization, I'd love to have a person that we can partner with in one of these organizations, a face, a mission, to, so that we can, be, uh, and we can be on mission and serve with the persecuted church. So, so I left that message with two feelings last week. One was my heart really goes out to these people and, and they're the church and I'm the church and they're my brothers and sisters and I don't want them, them to have to do this on their own because many of them are, are offering their life for this. That was one part. The other part, and I don't know if you guys did this or not, I left and said, is there something wrong with me because I'm not being persecuted? Anybody else think like that? Like, I was like, wow, like, I suck as a Christian. Like, there are guys out there that are, are, are willing to give their life at any moment for the cause of Christ. Am I doing something wrong because I'm not being persecuted? And so I began to, I kind of went into this message this week with that idea of what does persecution look like for us here in America? Uh, for me as a Christian American, what, what, would, what does that mean for me? And Royce jokingly said last week that his message was a lot easier than this one because last week he was talking about something that's happening out there. This week we really have to dig in and say, well, what does this mean, uh, mean for us? And in one sense, I think as a Christian, it would be easier to live in a country that persecutes Christianity in one sense, not the physical sense. But when it comes to knowing where you stand, and why you believe what you believe, they just have an incredible leg up. And the fact that to be a Christian in a country that persecutes Christianity is, uh, is something you have, to, you have to be willing to die for what you believe, which none of us have ever been put in that situation for the most part. So in one way, they, they really believe and live out their faith in a way that we just don't, and, and it's hard for us to to imagine. Now, we are blessed to live in a country that does not persecute based off of religion yet. We may get there at some point, but we're doing good so far. Uh, we have freedom of religion here in the U.S., and that's a blessing. I don't wish that I lived in a persecuted country or that we were persecuted here. But the persecution that we face here in the States will not be physical, it will not be violent because of the religion of freedom that we have, but instead the persecution that happens here is much more subtle, and it's going to be seen in your day-to-day life, in your character, as you live out your faith. So when, when Jesus, like I said, Jesus calls these groups of disciples together, he prepares them for what they're going to face in the first half of chapter 10. In the last half of chapter 10, what he does is he prepares their character for the, the way that they are going to have to act as the sent out ones. So here's what you're getting yourself into, but this is the way that I want you to act. This is how bold I want you to be, how courageous I want you to be. And so but with those two things, he then is going to send them out after chapter 10. So today what we're going to be looking at is verses 24 through 42 in Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to focus on the character of a sent disciple. 
What, is, what does that look like? And I believe for us as a church, we can really identify with that. So we're going to read this, Matthew 10, 24 through 42. I'd invite you guys to stand up and read it with me. We like to, to read in honor of God's Word. We like to stand in honor of God's Word. And so let's read this together. It'll also be up on the screens if you don't have a Bible. Uh, starting in verse 24, uh, this is Jesus talking to the twelve before He sends them out. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So I have no fear, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, or are not one of them, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the Father, from your Father? But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are more valuable than many sparrows. To everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is my disciple... Truly I say, he will by no means lose his reward. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we come before you. I just wanted to submit ourselves to your word. Uh, uh, God, I, I just, I admit that many times the, the words of Jesus just seem foreign. Uh, when I hear uh, some of that about a not loving parents or not loving child, it just doesn't seem right. Uh, and so God, we would ask that you would open up our minds to understand what it is that you're saying in this passage, believing that uh, you spoke, uh, Father, and, 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 uh, and our, our job is to, is to listen. And so we want to do that now. So open up our hearts to receive the truth. Uh, open up our minds uh, to know your ways, uh, God, so that we can continue to be obedient to what you've called us to do in this place. We'd ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You guys have a seat. Amen. That's right. So as I read through... Uh, those verses, uh, I came up with four characteristics of a missional disciple. Now, I'm not a big points guy, as you know. Uh, my, my sermons kind of just go wherever they may go sometimes. Um, but I felt in order for me to keep on track today, uh, we needed to have some points in this message. So we're going to have four points. Um, and I'm using the language of missional disciple because Jesus is talking to the sent out ones. So as a missional, as a sent-out disciple, you could also use the word apostle. It means the same thing. We just don't use apostle a whole lot in our language today, but missional, a disciple. Missional is a word that means sent out on the, you're engaging in the mission of God. It's not a, 
word that's used outside of the church. It's kind of Christianese. It's, it's even kind of funny when you, when you use it in your, in word doesn't recognize missional, you know, it always airs it as I'll spell check, you know, and it's not in the vocabulary yet of, of culture, but inside the church, we use the word missional, uh, missional disciple is a sent out disciple. So what we're going to have is four characteristics of a, of a, of a sent out disciple. Now, little disclaimer, these four are a little macho. And I realize the majority of the men are on a men's retreat, and so I'm talking to a room majority of women. Um, And I wasn't intentional in doing that. It's just kind of the way it came out. I did it before the men's retreat, so it wasn't a result of hanging out with a bunch of men that I have four macho points. Uh, It's just kind of the way it worked out. So give me some freedom here, a little bit of grace for my four macho points. Uh, Point number one, uh, first character of a disciple that I believe we can pull out of this, a missional disciple is tough. Okay? Missional disciples tough. Uh, Jesus makes the point in verse 24, right at the beginning that, that we read, that the servant of the master, us, Jesus is the master, we're the servants. In his case, he was the head rabbi. He was the head master. The 12 were his servants. The master, the servants of the master should expect to be persecuted in a greater capacity than the master himself, Right? Now, Jesus doesn't say that as his followers, his disciples will be persecuted in a greater way. Because we're a disciple of Jesus, that doesn't mean that we will all die on a cross someday. Thank God. I'm not looking forward to that. But it does mean that we will be persecuted in a greater way. So imagine being the disciples, the 12 guys, they're sitting around. They've been following Jesus, seeing him do all types of cool miracles, he, is, uh, he has been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's speaking in a way that they've never heard anyone speak before. They've seen him do miraculous things such as calm the seas. He's even in control of nature. Who wouldn't want to follow this guy around and be his disciple? Now all of a sudden, he's sending them out saying, hey, and by the way, guys, you're going to be persecuted in a greater way than I will. So to follow Jesus up until this point has been this exciting adventure, but now they're going to have to suffer for him. Now, when the suffering actually starts, which is more toward the crucifixion, we don't see a, a whole lot of suffering. It's more political and, you know, people get angry with them at times. But the suffering really doesn't start until Jesus goes to the cross. How do the disciples respond to suffering? They hide, right? Right? I mean, when they come to get Jesus, the first, you know, real physical altercation, there's one earlier where they they try to throw Jesus off a cliff, but he kind of mysteriously disappears, which is kind of cool. Uh, But now they they take Jesus, and his 12 disciples just disappear, right? I mean, they're they're gone. And he's been telling them, hey, guys, we're going to suffer. Hey, guys, we're going to suffer. And then all of a sudden, suffering happens, and these guys vanish, right? Peter, the rock, the one that the church is going to be built on, denies Jesus three times, right after that. And then the next time we see the disciples, they're all hiding in a room together, like saying, what happened? You know, like, where did this thing go south that now all of a sudden our our master's dead and and are we next? And it's really funny that who's who's the one that actually goes to the tomb? The women, right? I mean, these men are all hiding somewhere, and the women are the ones that really say, oh, I don't really care. I mean, we're going to go, and we're going to take care of the body, and we're going we're to take, take care of our Savior. So these guys are hiding, right? Well, 
Well, something changes inside of them after that, after that moment because these 12 guys, most of them will go on to give their lives, right, for the sake of, of the message of Jesus Christ. What's different between the crucifixion and them going out? It's the resurrection. It's, it's, the, it's God validating what Jesus does. Them realizing who Jesus really was when he was resurrected from the grave. It, it empowered them to live out this mission. They had a, a powerful experience of the grace of God that motivated them to go and to face the suffering and do what it was that God had placed them here to do. It is that experience of God that emboldens the church to the power of the gospel. See, a missional disciple, a sent one, is not tough because they have something inside of themselves. Jesus didn't go around and pick the toughest guys out of a crowd. He actually did the opposite. He picked the ones that nobody else had chosen. He picked the ones who had been rejected academically. He picked the ones who had been rejected in the priesthood. He picked the ones who nobody else really wanted. And he said, you're going to be my disciples because it was through their weaknesses that he was going to do something really great. And it was them knowing him and them experiencing him. So as a missional disciple today for the church, we can be bold. We can be tough, not because we man up or woman up, uh, but because we meet God and we have this powerful experience of the reality of God in our life that moves us forward. As we walk with Jesus, uh, we should expect that throughout our lives as followers of Christ, suffering for the sake of Christ will continue. Guys, Jesus' ministry lasted three years. Yours will last much, much longer. That's what he meant by a greater capacity. The only way for us to remain faithful throughout our lives as Christians is to remember who we are following. There is nothing that you are going to go through in this life that Jesus either did not go through or that he is not willing to walk in with you. That was the promise when he left, I will be with you until the end of the age. So we know that we can be tough. We know that Jesus can be with us. But what does this persecution actually look like for us today? You know, if, if, uh, if we lived in another country, like I said, if we were uh, Christians in China, then we would see persecution probably as the Chinese government restricting our religion. If we were in uh, parts of Africa, we would see persecution as, as extreme uh, Islam uh, persecuting us. But here in the, the States, it's, it's not the same case because we can't really put a face on what persecution looks like. It's not the government, although Kim Davis would probably think it is in her particular case. But for all of us, it's, it's not. Um, it's not the culture around us, although the, I think the media are always looking for a way to criticize uh, Christians. It's not another religion Although I don't doubt there is extremists, religious extremists here in the U.S. who would love to see some of Christianity be wiped away. But it really is all of the above. For us, persecution will come when me and you as followers of Jesus align ourselves with the Master. That's what he is calling them to in this passage. This is what Jesus means in the Beatitudes when he says, 
blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus says in this passage, they, when, the, the, when they looked at me, they thought that I was actually from Satan. And you guys need to know that the same thing is going to happen to you. The, the broader culture, the dominant culture will not understand us or who we are, or who God is calling us to be, but we are to follow the Master. And when we do that, following Jesus filters into all the other areas of our daily life. It affects your job and what you are willing and not willing to do in your place of work. It affects the way that you interact with your coworkers. It affects your priorities. It affects the way that you vote. It affects your parenting and the battles that you're willing to fight with your children. It affects your family relationships and the corresponding conflicts that come out of that. It affects your bank account and the sacrifice of your resources. It affects your time and what you're going to do with it. Persecution comes in the daily life of the Christian as they follow Jesus in the nine to five of life, in family life, in my work life, in our relationships together as, as a church. When we bear the name of Jesus, that we are Christians, that means little Christ. And it should affect our daily life. If we have the strength to stand what Jesus stood for, I guarantee you guys, persecution will come in the day-to-day grind of following Jesus. So expect it. When you fail, do not stay hidden because God is not done with you. We have all had times in our lives where we've been cowards about our faith. But we see the disciples and we see Jesus continuing to use them. The answer to a a, a cowardice in Christianity is to know God more. And that's what uh, Jesus is going to get to at our second point here. Uh, Number two, a missional disciple fears no person. Jesus, he's building up the character of the the disciples not to fear in verses 26 through 33. The fear of man, church, blinds us to the ways of God. Uh, I've noticed this theme in a lot of my kids' movies. If you're a parent, you've watched your fair share of children's movies. Um, And there's this theme that I keep seeing pop up in my kids' movies, and it's a theme of overcoming fear, okay? So in Finding Nemo, it was venturing outside of the reef. Entangled, it was Rapunzel leaving her treetop home. In the Lego movie, it was breaking out of conformity. In Frozen, it was embracing your gifts, In Inside Out, it was your emotions, all of them. In Wally, it was something out of the routine. We watched Wally recently, and so that one popped in there. Uh, It was breaking out of this this routine. All kids' movies, I believe, are about finding true joy by not fearing something, right? It's just this common theme that runs throughout all of these movies. And I was thinking about that. I realized that I think the same is true of Christianity and that we will find true joy by overcoming fear. The thing that we fear functionally is people, other people. When we look at the way that we live and compare it to the way that the disciples lived or compare it to the way that the persecuted church in Asia lives, we fear people here in the States, don't we? In 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 an idolatrous way. The answer to fear is not finding your true potential. It's not breaking out of some cultural construct. 
But the answer to the fear of man is the fear of God. That's what Jesus says here in this passage. He's building his disciples up to fear God. Jesus was able to do what he did because he knew who God was. The disciples were able to do what they did because they were convinced of the reality that this God chose them and it was through them that he was going to reach the world. Now, I know fearing God is not something that most of us talk a whole lot about. It's not something that I don't think many of us even think a whole lot about. But do you guys know that God tells us to fear him some 300 times in the Bible? It makes you wonder, why do we care so much about what other people think of us and so little about what God thinks of us? Why do we care so much about the will of man and approval and so little about the will of God and what He is calling us to do? It's because we value people so much and we have devalued God. We're afraid that people will know who we really are and they won't like it. And so we pretend to be something that they want us to be. We put on a face. We put on a mask. And they can like the mask. And as long as I continue to wear the mask and be what everyone wants me to be, then I don't have to fear them. I'll find approval in their eyes. And Jesus, man, he just drives this point home here in 26. He says, we should not fear people who don't really know us. We should fear God. Look what he says in 26. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed. People only know what we allow them to know about us, don't they? And we're still afraid of them. God knows exactly who you are down to the number of hairs on your head. And he says, I know your imperfections. I know your sin. I know your inadequacies. And I love you. And I want to use you. When that truth hits your heart, it will so embolden you in the message of Jesus Christ that you will no longer care what anyone thinks about you. And it will lead to, this is what I mean by, uh, instead of just a confessional, a functional life, living like the disciples lived. But here's the thing about God. We fear something because of the effect that that thing can have on us, don't we? Right? We fear because of the authority. If someone doesn't have any sway over me, I don't really fear them. Right? When I'm walking in the woods and I come across a bear, I fear the bear. Right? I don't try to give the bear a hug because the bear has authority over me in the woods. Right? God is the ultimate authority. He has all power, right? We should fear Him. But at the same time, we know that God is good and God is right and God is perfect. So my fear of God is in the lens of a good, right, and perfect being who knows who I really am and still loves me. He is the only being who has authority over you who died for you to demonstrate his love. He's the only master who does not abuse his authority. That is why we follow him. I truly believe, church, that if we are loved of God and we find our worth in him, then we will do what he tells us to do. And Jesus here 
is driving home this point that if you know you're loved of the Father, then you will fear Him by being obedient to Him. And that obedience is proclamation of the gospel. It's being the sent ones. It's about opening our mouths and talking about God. And we can do this in so many ways. I'm not asking you guys to knock on doors or pass out tracts. I don't want you to stand on street corners with a Bible yelling and screaming about an apocalypse. But I want you to be bold to talk about the master when the opportunity comes up. Just think about the issues that are going on in our culture right now. What are the hot topic issues right now? Same-sex marriage, right? Planned Parenthood. The, the refugee crisis is going on around the world. Um, and discrimination, the, the race battle in the U.S., All of these issues are happening all around us. You can't turn on the news and not hear about one of those right now. You can't get into a group of people and it not come up in the conversation. And you can't talk about those things and not represent the master. If you'll just be bold enough to talk about it, people will know exactly where you stand. Majority of you guys are going to go into a circle of influence this week in your place of work and your hobbies and and your circle of friends. And I'm just asking you guys, and along with myself, let's just be bold. Let's know Jesus, and let's talk about the things that he wants us to talk about. This is going to cause us to take sides on some things, and that's not bad. It's hard, right? It's not fun. It's easier just to hide. It's easier just not to talk about it. But Jesus has never called us to be quiet. He's called us to be bold. So what's the connection here between Jesus, that Jesus is making between fear and persecution? The persecution he talked about in the first half and the fear that he talks about in the last half. Here it is. Um, I believe the fear of man makes us timid and the fear of God makes us bold, right? When you're afraid of others, you're right where Satan wants you to be. And when you're bold, he hates that and persecution will come, right? So if we're going to live in fear... If we're going to live in fear of what people will think of us, then it's a sign of how little we know God. This is what Jesus says in the last part of that section. If you're afraid to talk about me, then if you're afraid to stand up for me, then it means that you don't know me. And because you don't know me, then I'm not going to be able to stand up for you when the day comes, when you have to stand before God. Us proclaiming the gospel is just a sign of God flowing out of us into the people all around us that we interact with. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is pleased when His people remain faithful to persecution for His righteousness, for His right ways being advanced in this world. That happens through our actions, and it happens through our words. Okay, number three here as we move on. This is going to be uh, verses 33 uh, down to 37. A missional disciple expects a fight. Err, macho. Uh, They expect a fight. Uh, We're starting to gear up for the Christmas holidays in September, which is ludicrous. But you're going to start hearing this phrase. Sorry, this thing is driving me nuts this week. Uh, you guys are going to hear this phrase, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? It's going to be on commercials. It's going to be on Christmas ornaments. We're going to hang it above our fireplace. 
It's just like one of those really popular Christmas uh, slogans, peace on earth, goodwill to men. That phrase comes out of Luke 2.14, and it's a really bad translation out of the King James Bible of what Jesus actually said. If you look at a modern translation, like an ESV Bible, which is just one of many, your NIV also should say, here's what my ESV Bible says in Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom He is pleased. That's very different, isn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill to men, is very different between peace on earth among those whom He is pleased. Okay? Peace on earth comes from a restored relationship with God, Him restoring us, and us restoring that relationship with one, with one another. Jesus makes the point that a missionary disciple should not expect to be at peace with the world. You shouldn't even expect to be at peace with your family, with your immediate family. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace but a sword. Right? This is so politically incorrect, Right? Now, church, listen really carefully. This is a metaphor. Do not go and get a sword and take it to work. He's using it metaphorically to represent this conflict that the world is going to have with God, right? That's what he's driving home here. So we should not think that there is going to be peace. Jesus is preparing his disciples for this persecution that will come within their own families. He says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I just, I had a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Like, I love my kids, God. You know, I, I love my parents. What do, you, what do you want? Like, what are you talking about here? Jesus is calling his disciples to ultimate allegiance. And, and church, when this happens, it'll create conflict within the people that you love. Your parents will not understand why you're following God in the way that you are. And you will get ostracized or you will get guilt tripped as many of you guys have from your parents. Jesus' own family at one point will, will distance themselves from him because they don't understand him. They don't understand his message. And they're like, well, that was weird. Like, we're going to go stand over here, and then Jesus is going to be left, like, with just his 12 disciples. Like, everyone's going to leave, including Jesus' family. And Jesus is going to turn to them and say, oh, so are you guys going to leave too? And they're like, where would we go? We've, we've met you, right? When you encounter the living God, it changes you. And the world will not understand who you are and what you represent, even inside of your immediate family. Uh, one of the stories for me about this has been just the story of my relationship with my mother. Uh, my mother, I was raised by a single parent, so I was very close to my mom. And uh, my mom has always been a very godly, God-fearing woman uh, who read her Bible, who took us to church. Uh, but when I, uh, when we felt God's call to leave our hometown that we had spent the first 25 years of our life with, um, it was very difficult for my mom to understand. Uh, she was okay the first couple of years because, oh, you're just on like a really long mission trip, right? But this thing's going to end and you're going to like come home. And I can't tell you guys how many times the, the first five years I heard the phrase, you know there's churches in Alabama. I mean, I heard that so many times over and over again. And it was really, really hard for me that my mom would not embrace what God had called me to do. And, and it led to a lot of really difficult conversations that me and Jamie had that I had to go and have with my mom about, 
about her supporting what it is that God had called me to do in this place. Now, years later, she loves that we're here and knows that where God has called us to be uh, and is very supportive. It's hard for her to be away, but she understands what it is that God has called us to do here in this place. But it, following Jesus and doing what he calls us to do, will be a strain on family between you and your parents and also between you and your kids. Um, what kind of what does it look like to love God more than parent or child? Is what Jesus is looking at. And I believe what it looks like is to be obedient to what he calls you to do no matter what. Matthew leaving his tax collecting booth would not have been a wise decision. And there would have been some family repercussions about you just left a really good job to do what? To follow a homeless dude around? Right? That would have been ludicrous to the people that he knew. The same thing with Peter and James and John abandoning the family business to go and make fishers of men. It doesn't matter if your family understands what it is that God has called you to do because you have another family. Now, I'm not saying that we don't still have earthly families and we shouldn't love and support and honor our parents and all things. But at the same time, they will not understand you. A parent will not understand why you won't work more because you want to be in community more. They won't understand why you give up a promotion because you have to travel and you're not willing to leave these group of people that God has placed you with. A child will not understand why you limit their extracurricular activities because you believe community is a priority, right? A teenager will not understand why they can't do what their friends do. And I guarantee you persecution will come. We have all experienced it. That's what it looks like in the day-to-day grind of faith. It's having character and trust in God and what He has called us to do here in this place. So we are called to sacrifice the physical things of this world, including some relationships, in order to follow God. And that is what taking up your cross is. So Jesus lands this section. I want you to take up your cross and follow me. And in so doing, if you're willing to lay down your life, you will find your life. You will find true joy and true satisfaction and true purpose and obedience to God and what he is calling you to do. And then number four here, last part of our, our passage here, verse 38 through 42. A missional disciple is confident. Uh, Jesus is telling his followers that this is going to be hard, that they're not to fear, that they're to be bold. And if they're rejected, he says, I want you to know that they are really rejecting me. We hate rejection, right? And it's that fear that keeps us from ever stepping out in, in, because we don't want to be rejected. I don't want to be rejected by my neighbors. I don't want to ruin a relationship if I talk too much about Jesus. I don't want to be the odd man out at work right? I don't want to be a holy roller in my neighborhood. But Jesus says, I want you to be bold. And if they reject you, they're really rejecting me. Our responsibility as the sent ones is to go and to leave the results up to God. In this last section here, he talks about prophets. He talks about the righteous and he talks about the little ones. Now these represent three different types of followers of Jesus. The apostles, the twelve, The righteous would be maybe a more mature Christian uh, or someone who's been a Christian for a while. And the little ones would just be new 
Christians, quite possibly. He used, Jesus used little ones not to refer to kids, but to younger believers that didn't know a whole lot about him. So these three different types of people are three different types that can be rejected. A prophet, a righteous person, or little ones. These are the people he is sending out. And some of us are prophets in the, in the fact that God has called us to a, a, a high responsibility. Some of us are seasoned Christians, and some of us are younger Christians. But the thing that all three of these have in common is all three of them have been chosen by God. This weekend at our men's retreat, our key passage was 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. And this is what it says. It says, you... This is Paul talking to Peter, who's talking to a group of people like us. He says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's special possession that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We as the sent disciples can be confident because you and me were chosen before the world was created to be the possessions of God. A holy nation. The sent out ones to declare the mercies that we have been extended. That's the job of proclamation. It's just to tell other people about the mercy that God has given you. And we need to know that God has chosen us no matter our level of spirituality. And that it's through us that the gospel is being delivered. And I truly believe that that character will be shown in confidence. Uh, the, the speaker this weekend was a guy named Jared Wilson. Uh, who came and he brought the, brought the word to us. And uh, he was talking about Jesus' 12 disciples. And, uh, and it was kind of funny because he said, you know, Jesus didn't really choose the cream of the crop, right? I mean, when you look at the 12, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a ragtag group of, group of guys. And, and, he, and I, like I said earlier, I believe that Jesus did that because he wanted to work powerfully through them. He didn't choose them because of their talents or their abilities. He chose them because he wanted... To, to, to work through them. So it would appear that, that he kind of chose those who were not very likely to succeed so that he could do something through them that they could not do for himself. And this is, what, this is what Jared said, and this really stuck with me this weekend. He said, the Bible has not called us to be successful. It has called us to be faithful. So scatter the seed, right? Isn't that the parable, throwing the seeds out? And who makes the seed grow? God, right? Our job is to scatter. Our job is to be obedient to the part that God is to play, but the results is up to God. So I want to embolden us today as the church, as we come to these tables to take communion, I want you guys to know that you were chosen of God. And it is through you that he is revealing himself through the world. And it will be hard. He guarantees that it will be hard. But he also guarantees that as long as we are, as we are members from him that we receive our grace, and it's through him that he is sustaining us, then we can be emboldened to continue to press on and to live out the life that he called us to live here. So if you, like many of us, I believe, have been timid in sharing your faith, 
then I pray that you will see who God is, you will see what He has done for you, and then you'll be reminded of who you are now, and you will go and do what He's called you to do. That's my prayer for us as a church. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Uh, God, we come before you as a, a repentant people, acknowledging uh, a shame of the gospel, at least functionally, and uh, our unwillingness to talk, God. Uh, we joke around a lot in this church about being a church of introverts. And so to step out and to speak is, uh, is like having our fingernails pulled off, God. And so we need you to embolden us for the gospel. And I pray that would happen through your Holy Spirit, just reminding us of grace, reminding us of being chosen, reminding us of being your people who are your possession. And then, Father, I would ask that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would go out of this place back to our neighborhoods and our families and our workplaces and our homes. And we would be bold, God. But we would be bold for you and through you. Father, would you do that in this place? We'd ask that in your name. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.